I'm Katie Loins and you're listening to The Code Hanger. Welcome to The Code Hanger on 2SER 107.3 FM. We'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners on the land in which we broadcast and record this show, the Gadigal of the Euro Nation, and we pay our respects to elders past and present. The Code Hanger is a show and podcast where we tackle women's footy with a Sydney view. I'm your guest host, Peter Holden, filling in for another week for the awesome Fifi Lamb, and I'm joined today by... Emma Phillips here, joining you today from Bidjigal Land. Coach Kiwi here, joining you today from Dark and John Lang. I just want to also acknowledge Daruk, which is uh, the title of the country we are from. We are on their land here, but there's no traditional owners left, so Dark and Jung manage the property. So being the week that it is, I just want to acknowledge Daruk. Thanks, Kiwi. It's Tracy Kick here coming to you from Daruk land. In this week's show of our Round 3 pod for AFLW Season 6, we're going to be touching on, well, what's up with the Giants. We're going to be talking about the four teams that are running away with it at the moment. Playing football in summer has been a big question this week, but of course the first topic that we need to touch on is Pride Round, or to use the worst possible quote of the week, has it been done to death? Gee, Michael Pryor. <laughs> Has Pride Round been done to death? I mean, he, he really couldn't have chosen his words better, could he? And I'm very much being sarcastic as I say that. Now, there's, there's not a whole lot I think we need to say about how poor his choice of words were and on the back of the West Coast Eagles choosing to not have a Pride Jumper in Pride Round when every other team had a Pride Jumper. Um, he, you know, he, the, the backlash came, of course, then the West Coast Eagles issued a statement. He issued a statement. I'm sure somebody at the club wrote it, one of those if you were offended kinds of apologies. I just, I very rarely say this in life these days, but simply not good enough from Pryor or the West Coast Eagles. Simply not good enough. comes down to leadership, doesn't it? At the end of the day, if you're a head coach, um, your role is to be a leader. And that that includes not just to talk footy, but to lead at the club and to lead the culture. And um, and to lead the culture means that you need to acknowledge and you need to not dismiss and, and not to play down what is a significant part of not just women's football, but now of football as a Pride Round. And so the club, um, you know, should be proud of Pride Round um, whether it be men's or women's football. So, yeah, it was very disappointing and uh, and deserved the backlash of God, I think. I think it, you know, I kind of felt for his players because one of the things when you coach is you have a real connection with your players and, you know, you know about your players and you know how they're feeling, um, all those things. And it felt to me like he didn't acknowledge um, what Pride Round would probably mean to his players in that he, you know, gave it such an off-the-cuff sort of comment that, you know, we don't, you know, you're making a big deal about it. We, we really don't care. Because then, then he said something about we've got exclusive singlets. Well, those exclusive singlets are worn by three or four other teams. So, you know, they weren't exclusive to 
West Coast. So he's out of touch in that regard. I think he's out of touch. If he's got any players in this team struggling to come to terms with their own sexuality or coming out or dealing with um, any challenges outside of sport, I think they would then have trouble to come to him or, you know, his coaches or support in the club because that's usually your next family that you turn to. If you if you can't get support outside with your general family, you come to your footy family, um, you know, for that, for that level of connection. And it felt to me like he... It's not providing it to his players, and um, you know I just really felt for them, and um, and I do worry that this is a comment he's made, done to death, poor choice of words, and in a week we're supposed to be all about inclusivity. Yeah, yeah good points, Kiwi. I, the other thing that's missing, that's been missing for me from this conversation, is where's the AFL on this? And I think if this was midwinter AFLM and a club had done this. We would certainly hear from the AFL. There'd be a, a statement issued from the AFL and I imagine, I hope, that they would take a, a sort of zero-tolerance approach to the club that had opted to not have a Pride Guernsey and then had a coach that was incredibly dismissive of the entire thing. Um, zero from the AFL, we haven't heard boo. And I think that is incredibly disappointing as well. The old duck and cover is something they know how to do well. Is it disappointing also that clubs, a PR coach, that they're unable to acknowledge to say and put their hand up, hey, we made a mistake, we got it wrong? Because this is put prior in the situation where he's now said those words. It's just to give some context, when he did say the uh, term, oh, I think Pride Round's been done to death, uh, according to the West Australian, it was essentially after he was asked numerous questions about the jumper and he wanted to move on, but he's used that poor choice of words. Surely the PR coaching at least at the club could have said, look, obviously on reflection, looking back at it, we've made the wrong decision here and we're going to have to you know, move forward and try and make amends to the uh, LGBTIQ supporters of our club. Yeah, Peter, I think one of the things I observed was that the club didn't, he didn't make an apology and he tried to explain it by saying I'd been asked about it three times and, you know, I, so it just came out, you know, I, did, mm. I wanted to talk about football. And that's just totally defensive and making excuses. The other thing about the choice of words being done to death, you know, youth suicide in the LBG community um, is, you know, is far greater than in the rest of the community. And therefore, you know, even to say it's been done to death is is just so disrespectful. Just quickly, I also want to ask the point, since Emma mentioned about AFL House being quiet, has behind the scenes AFL House put the gag on? It was raised by Becca Hayne, a big supporter of women's footy on Twitter. She was uh, watching the West Coast Eagles versus Adelaide game it was mentioned by the male commentator at the stage, I think it was Jack Heverin, saying that, uh, oh, you know, the Pride jumpers are fantastic this round, when obviously West Coast was running out there without a Pride jumper. And in commentary on special comments was Emma Carney, North Melbourne ta- Kangaroos captain, and also uh, Shiloh Curtis, also part of the LGBTIQ community. And none of them addressed the issue during the call. It, you know, sometimes silence can say a million words. <laughs> I'm, that was I'm our, it's, it's our silence. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're absolutely spot on with that, Peter. You know, it's it's interesting. You know, I think what little criticism the AFL has um, had to face on this issue, and I think it's not insignificant. You know, this is the, the symbolism of Pride Round matters. Language matters, as Trace pointed out. We have 
significant, um, you know, health and, and death risks to the queer community. Um, these rounds are really vital for the health of the queer community. And I am staggered that commentators would not actually raise the issue in the game with the club that has not got the pride jumper. I may be wrong, but is this only the second year that we've actually had Pride Round? Because I know we've had, I know Bulldogs and Carlton have had a Pride match over the last five years of AFRW. But as a Pride Round where all teams are involved, I think is this the second one? Or is it third? That's correct. It's, 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 it's the second round. And I think only five teams had a Pride Jumper the previous year where the rest wore rainbow socks or rainbow laces right. uh, as opposed to this year where 13 of the 14 have pride jumpers. But that does bring the point, Tracy Kick, that the Giants have a pride jumper but did not wear the pride jumper during pride round. Really interesting. And Emma was texting me saying, where is the jumper? Uh, I don't know where the jumper was because all of the media in the lead up were GWS players in their pride jumper talking about what pride means to them. And then curiously, they run out in a charcoal and orange jumper that's not the pride jumper. And uh, as far as I can gather, all of the media is just promoting that they will wear the pride jumper at their very first game at Henson Park in the heart of the inner west and you could say the heart of the queer community in inner Sydney um, next weekend. However, what was to stop them wearing it this weekend next week? Uh, it, it's possibly more of a home jumper, but it, wouldn't have clashed with uh, North Melbourne's jumper, I don't think. So that's, I don't, that's I don't bizarre. think they've got any gay fans in Victoria. I think that's what they're saying. Is yeah, that a serious it's, comment, Kiwi? It's not, no, is it? No, okay. <laughs> no, I just, oh, no, I agree. And if you're going to then delay it and use it at home, use it Mardi Gras weekend, you know, get into the whole whatever, what else is going on in Sydney. If that's what you want to do, it just seemed, seemed bizarre to me that they'd wear a home jumper at North's home game and it not be their pride jumper, which is a home jumper. But but do we actually believe that line? I mean, I query the West Coast Eagles saying that they're taking their time to get the process right, to get the jumper right. It's just about money, isn't it, really? They're just, they're just being tight asses, let's be honest, and they're not being honest about that. Did the Giants just leave the box of jumpers behind? Did someone forget to pack the pride jumpers or did the merchandise creator actually not get them done on time and they're suddenly gone into PR mode and they've gone, oh, shit, look, we have really planned all along to run it out at the Henson game at home. No, I think I think they did. Because, I mean, they did keep them for next week because they've all worn them. So they're physically here in Sydney. They've had the photos in there, unless it's a real clever Photoshop. Um, and it was I'm pretty sure it was yesterday or Friday that the Giants said they're saving them for, the home, for Henson Park. So they haven't forgotten them on the plane this morning. What kind of decision is that? Okay, who sits in the room and says, you know what, let's not do pride. Here, we've got the jumpers, I can see them. Let's not wear them this weekend. We'll save them for the weekend at home. And everyone in the room says, yep, that's a great idea. Did that really happen? Because you can only wear a pride jumper once. Because, well, it's, you know, it's a, it's a precious thing. You've only, you can only wear it one time you because can you can only shout once. out to that community <laughs> once in 10 oh. I don't That's, know. That would be like saying, here's our Indigenous jumper, we only wear it once. Now, the AFRW last year went, no, you know what, we're wearing it more because 
it means more to us than just one week. Why does Pride not? And why are we wearing our Indigenous jumper well before Indigenous round? Yeah. Um, one credit should go out just quickly to the Fremantle Dockers, who, unlike the West Coast Eagles, were actually great at explaining something. Uh, they explained that their team wasn't running through a uh, Pride banner yesterday because a member of their cheer squad actually caught COVID and had to go into isolation, as well as a number of other members of their oh, cheer no. squad. So they came out with a containment rainbow of balloons instead. So at least an applause to Fremantle for getting straight on the front foot and explaining the situation. Mm, Can I just um, (laughs) say something about the rainbow addition to the uniforms? It's good to see some of the teams incorporate the trans colours and on the scoreboard with North and Giants, um, they had the trans colours. That was a pretty awesome-looking scoreboard. Best scoreboard. The North jumper doesn't have the trans colours, yet North had... Danielle Laidley come and toss the coin today. I thought that was um, just awesome in the whole scale of we have trans inclusion, we've got an absolute legend at this club, let's bring her back in and, you know, put her out on the big stage with our best um, women's team on a big day out. I thought that was pretty the, the, awesome. Uh, this issue, I think, um, wasn't it great to see Danielle Laidley out there toss the coin? I mean, really fantastic and, you know, all power to North Melbourne. They've been amazing, amazingly inclusive, a big family club. Um but the, this issue with the, the with trans inclusion, and especially I think with the inclusion of the trans flag on some of the jumpers, for me it rankles a bit because you know the AFL at the moment has a trans exclusion policy, a trans of trans women in the league. So you've got players like Hannah Mountie, of course, who have been making some noise this week on Twitter about not feeling included in Pride Round, not being very supportive of Pride Round, looking at you know flags and colours and symbols in favour of actual progress. That's her argument. So it's hard to actually look at the trans flag and think, gee, you know, you you get the, the privilege of running around out there as a, as a potentially queer woman who's not necessarily trans. And if you're trans, you're not out there. You don't get that chance. So I, I have a real issue with the trans flag being included in these pride jumpers without that conversation also going on. It's interesting, Emma, because we know we shift culture by doing three things. One is our behaviour, one is our systems and processes, and the other is our symbols. And when we don't have congruence between those three things, we send a really confusing message and we have no chance really to shift culture. So the AFL really needs to have a look at the congruence between their messaging, you know, the behaviour and, you know, their systems, policies and processes because at the moment there is no congruence. Yeah, yeah. Well said, Trace. Big question without notice. Um, since we now obviously have non-binary players uh, identified in the competition, Tory Groves, Little and Darcy Vessio, is it time to drop the W from AFLW? And I raise an example that there used to be in the United States a league called the National Women's Hockey League. Obviously, they refer to ice hockey as just hockey. They rebranded themselves last year as the Premier Hockey Federation, PHF, because they had non-binary and transgender players in their competition, as well as they said they didn't want to be just seen as women's hockey. They wanted to be seen as hockey. Do we need a conversation at some stage where we drop the W? My two cents, I think so. Yep, I think that's a pretty easy answer for me. I don't know exactly what we would call it. And I think if you do that to the current AFLW competition, you've got to do that across all competitions. 
and it is it is a, a, a growing question for um, you know what we regard as typically M and F sport, you know, male and female sports. Sport gets split into two genders. It's binary, you know, like our culture has been for so long. And as the culture starts to open out to uh, m- uh, multiplicity of genders, you know, sport has to as well. I don't think it yet kn- knows how to contend with that, and it will be a long time before the AFL knows how to contend with that. But my short answer is yes, we have to move beyond that binary. If it if it took 150 years for them to have a national women's league, <laughs> could take a little while for a new yeah, logo. Yeah, you're not wrong, Kiwi. Could be AFLI inclusive. Yeah. Well, ironically, you could actually give the W to the men and have this season we're currently playing called AFLS, AFL Summer, and the men's competition, AFLW, being <laughs> AFL Winter. There you go. Yeah. Well, you know, on that point, there's obviously, uh, you know, when it comes to the issues of sort of gender binary and the use of toilets, for example, I noticed I was at RMIT doing some work recently, and I think uh, the art department might have solved this one. Instead of having a descriptor of gender on the toilets, it simply had urinal and toilet. So it then left the individual to choose which one they wanted to. So, you know, I like your idea, Peter, summer and winter. (laughs) Stand up, sit down. Yeah, that's right. And that leads us a brilliant segue into talking about the seasons and the time of uh, the games being played in round three. We had three on Saturday during the middle of the day and we had a game on Sunday during the middle of the day. I guess the uh, question, Tracy Kick, is... Is the broadcaster leaning on them not to play at night so we're not going up against the cricket or Ash Barty or the Matildas? Why are we playing in the stinking hot 30-degree heat? It's curious, isn't it? I don't know the answer to that. That's absolutely one possible theory. I know that obviously fixturing has been difficult with the current COVID context, um, but I don't think that that has anything to do with the time of day that they're fixturing on. And I would love to see some more... um, twilight or evening or even late afternoon games um, through the middle of summer. We've never played through this part of summer before. So I think it's really curious. So is it about uh, is it about the, um, the broadcasters or is it about the AFL trying to find a unique time and, and place for the game and for the crowds? But to what end when players, you know, are playing in 33-degree heat in the middle of the day and, and, you know, running out of legs and, you know, with 16 aside, it's already a challenge. We already play athletics in women's football. So, you know, let's make it more of a challenge. Let's put it on at one or two o'clock. And it was, what was it, 33 degrees in Melbourne today or something like that, right in the peak heat? It's an odd one. <laughs> yeah, and the Giants-North game was the only free-to-air match of the round. So then we're just really mostly going through streaming or um, subscription services. So it can't come down to what Channel 7 wants to schedule. I should also point out that that would have been for the uh, Sydney market. In the Melbourne market, the Melbourne versus Saints game during the middle of the day at Casey Fields, where there's no shade, was also uh, a free-to-air game. Yeah, see, so home and away is not on then. So what's the problem? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's actually inexplicable isn't it like it's uh, maybe we can find out maybe we we'll do some research this week and find out why is it so <laughs> let's move on to the second quarter we've talked about all the issues funny actually there's was some football played uh, over the weekend let's begin obviously with the gws giants since this is a sydney radio program and uh 
Well, North Melbourne uh, did as they please. Um, Emma Phillips, I just want to bring up this interesting stat that the GWS Giants at three-quarter time were one one seven, and out of both of those scores, both of them came from 50-metre penalties. So if it wasn't for them, it could have well, well and truly been duck eggs for the GWS Giants at three-quarter time. It was certainly looking that way, wasn't it, for most of the – well, certainly for the first half. And I think Tracy was saying before we started recording that uh, they'd kicked one goal six in the past – six quarters or something like that up to up till that last quarter and that one that goal had come from a 50 meter penalty so oh look you know many many big questions to be asked of the Giants and I was thinking before we started today you know is there a way to do this and sort of maintain a kind of positivity (laughs) I think about my time in footy and there's a lot of focus in women's footy where it's trying to build and you know again the respect that it deserves there's a lot of focus on being positive and sometimes perhaps too much But I think this is an occasion where we have to issue that sort of positivity to take a really properly critical look at where the Giants are at because they were woeful today up until that last quarter. I think it's okay to say that they were woeful. There was some texting going on for me saying, dear, I think this might be the worst game the Giants have ever played, you know, that kind of thing. And the scoreboard 27 points in the end really does flatter them. It probably realistically was more like a 10-goal win to North and if they'd kicked straight probably would have been. So um, I don't want to hog the airtime. I know that both Trace and Kiwi have a lot to say on this, uh, but probably the big one for me is now to ask questions about Alan McConnell and whether he's the right person for the job. Trace, what do you reckon? Yeah, look, that were disappointing today. Um, you know, I'm always hopeful that, you know, some, there's going to be a spark and you see glimpses of it. And the fact that they kicked four goals in the last quarter, you know, kind of redeemed themselves in some way. But I do feel like North just stopped. You know, they just knew that they had it in the bag and it was 33 degrees and, you know, they kind of almost gave it to them in a way. Uh, I think from North's perspective, that was disappointing to see them not finish it off um, that, in that fourth quarter. Uh, back to your question about uh, coaching and about GWS. Look, they've had um, they've had all six years to kind of work it out. It's not like they're the Saints or West Coast, and you know they're still working it out and still building a list. And yes, they are in a a non-football state, but it, it begs the question. Um, you know, it does do there need do there need to be changes? You know, and I think. They, they do probably do. I, I think it's time that there is a bit of a changing of the guard because they've tried a lot of things and they've tried to consolidate and they're, they're drawing more from the New South Wales and ACT local players, but it's not working. And, you know, the academy's there and the train on squad's there, but it just, it just doesn't seem to be working. And I just think the connection between the coaching staff and among the coaching staff and the players, you know, there's a query for me. I mean, the the new um, young player who's come through the Swans Academy kicked her first goal in her first game today, and the commentators of the game did question why the whole team had not run from wherever to congratulate her. And I just think it's, again, just some of those, some of those sort of messages we're getting about where they're really at. So and they just look so dejected at halftime, and they were getting a flogging. So I get it, but I, yeah, I'm just not sure they've they've got what they need, both in a list and in coaching. 
Yeah, I think, you know, where, when you're under the pump, you look for any little bit in a game where you get to celebrate. And, you know, often we call it the one percenters. And if someone does a really great chase down tackle or something, you, you get around that person and it lifts your team. And, you know, absolutely what you said, Trace, when Jess Doyle kicked that goal, get around her. One, she's not your academy, get that. But she's been training with you since October you know, there's been media this week, even Sydney Swans got behind the Giants this week and said, we don't normally support Crosstown, but we are this week. So even they were there in spirit, get around the young player. And if you look at other games over the weekend, usually the team was on the, you know, at, at that point of the game, their team was probably, you know, not the winning team during the match. They would still get around the new kid who kicked the goal. You know, I I don't, you know, I understand they would have all been a bit shattered or, you know, finding it hard at that part of the game. But you use that, use that little bit of fighting spirit to lift your team and get on a roll. And, you know, I think straight after three-quarter time, even Alicia Eva came out and did a rundown tackle and, you know, got up and really tried to get get the team going. So I don't know what's happened to them where they couldn't get around her. And um, it looked to me like there's a lot of distortion through the team. It didn't look like the forwards connected with each other. They weren't connecting with the midfield. The defence line just were all over the shop. I don't know if they were told to be zone and they were just being outmarked all over the place. There was no accountability. Um, was it Daria Bannister who took the mark and sold the goal square when, you know, she had three weeks to stand there and take a chess mark because nobody was accountable. So, you know, uh, you know, Alan, this is his fifth season in charge of the women's team. He now knows how AFRW runs, but I think is has he got three brand new assistants? So have they come with a lot of experience two brand new assistants. So if they come with a lot of experience, do they know a lot about the game, the league, the other players, who to mark up on? Because players like Bannister, um, Emma King, you know, outmarked us um, all throughout. Duffin, Duffin started on the bench and came on and, you know, beat our forwards. It's, you know, and North do, they have stars all over the field. I get that. But Giants have some really quality players that – is it possible they all had a bad day? I'm not sure, you know. Go down and look at what they ate this morning or, you know, how they packed their bag or did they fly today or yesterday. Something went wrong today with the Giants and they started the season kicking goals and then they've gone quiet. So, yeah, something's not not ticking or connecting or I don't know. I don't know how they fly home today. It's um, It would be a pretty quiet flight, I imagine. Has today exposed that the Giants may not have planned correctly for the future, both in the coach's box and when it comes to on the field? Looking for goals out of Cora Staunton, who's 40 years old and at any moment could say, that's it, I'm, I'm hanging up the boots, I'm done, thanks very much. And also in the coach's box, because if you're a player, let's say you're Elise Parker, let's say you know, you're know you the red-hot target that this one's would be interested in. Have you, you haven't got is it safe to say a a coaching program in place where you can see, right, these people are going to be around for the next five years. If I choose to stay with the Giants, this is their philosophy. This is where they're going. As opposed to where you know when you go to the Swans, when they put someone in place, hopefully they'll be there for at least a minimum of two or three years. So you get to see, right, this is their philosophy and this is where they want to go. Yeah, big question. A couple of comments on that, Peter. I I think the first one is... Yeah, have have they really been 
forward looking you know are they focusing on the future or just the now and I, I keep thinking they just want to do better one better than last season and to be honest the last three or four seasons have been nothing but disappointing to be honest um you know it doesn't matter how much recruiting you do Chloe Dalton was fantastic today and you know I mean occasionally she doesn't quite have that awareness because she's busy outrunning everyone but um she she is sensational um Nicola Barr impressed me today um and, you know, and Ali Morford, I think, is a great pickup um, for them. But I, from in terms of kind of longevity and what they're building, and I think Kiwi and Emma will know this from the New South Wales context, is there's been no development of coaches really for this program in New South Wales whatsoever. And as Kiwi will attest, unless you're prepared to pack up your bags and chuff down to Melbourne, um, you might as well, you know, they're, they're really drawing on their academies for the next versions of the coaches and they're not getting really exposure across the whole of the program in terms of AFLW and, you know, we've got to start, we've got to start looking for coaches who understand leadership as well as the game. It's worth pointing out that the GWS Giants' next matchup will be against the Bulldogs at Henson Park. The Bulldogs will be coming off of not playing football for about three weeks due to COVID. And uh, dare I say, if the Bulldogs win that game, the Jungle Drums will be beating very, very loud. Let's move on to other games to have a look at. Obviously, congratulations to North. We're kind of downplaying North, aren't we, after uh, they put on a a magnificent show for three quarters and uh, continue their unbeaten run. But uh, let, let's begin just on Friday night uh, before we raise uh, other games. But Geelong, they're looking to be on the upswing. They pushed the Pies, and if it wasn't for Malloy, the Pies could have found themselves in very big trouble. Chloe Malloy's good fun to watch, isn't she? When Malloy that was magic. <laughs> just great. <laughs> one, of the, one of my favourites. Yeah. <laughs> I think this might be the first round in a while where I'm not going to whinge about Geelong too much because they did bring something much better <laughs> than they have, I think, and they got beyond their average of two goals a game. So, um, yeah, look, and that was ultimately – uh, the closest match, I think, of the round so far. We've got Tuesday night's match to come, but 11 points in the end, and we probably all expected Collingwood to win that one by, you know, five or six goals. So, yeah, it was a great start to the round. And, and I have to say maybe Geelong have something to bring us and just maybe Collingwood are not the premiership-ready package that a lot have been touting. Yeah, I think um, Geelong's challenge over the last three years really has just been getting the ball inside 50 and inside 30. So they're giving themselves some quality scoring opportunities. And in the weekend, it felt like we saw bits of that. So they've really developed that side of their game. And at the end of it, I thought they were competitive all over the field. Just that area still let them down a little bit. You know, had they been able to get some more inside 30s, could have made a bit of a difference um, and I thought they put the sword to pies. I thought they really um, competed, and especially through that midfield. Pies have quality midfielders with Malloy, with um, well, even Ebony O'Day. The user is probably a tagger a little bit too much, but when Michaela Kang goes in there, Jamie Lambert goes in there. Um, Geelong's young, because they are very young, with Nina Morrison, Georgia Prisparkas, they stood up. And they look like they've been around five years the way that they played against those experienced players. So um, Geelong are building. They're, they're going to um, 
you know, really show some magic in, in future matches. And um, and I reckon that's what they've used. They've used this game against the Pies to really show some of the quality that they can they can do. And I love that. Rachel Carnes, Rachel Kearns, um, the yeah. young Irish girl. Boy, she's tough and she can yeah. move. Um, so, Sydney, get her up here. Every Irish person likes to be in Sydney, <laughs> so get her up here. <laughs> I think the other person that really has been impressing me is Sophie Alexander. Um, she, I kept saying, who's the woman with the pink boots? Who's the woman with the pink boots? So, um, you know, she's been really amongst it the last couple of weeks. But, yeah, Geelong were really impressive. And I was really surprised, to be honest. But it was a really pleasant surprise. Can we talk about the Adelaide Crows defence for a moment? They took care of West Coast uh, at Punt Road Oval on Saturday. Um, Adelaide uh, kicked 118 points total so far for the season, which is the fourth highest, but they sit on top of the ladder because they've only conceded 42 points so far this season. How good is it to see their fullback, Sarah Allen, generally getting the ball outside their defensive 50? That's the presence and the power that their defence has that she can roll up the ground and just cut so much um, of the opposition's ball going in. It's yeah, They're pretty phenomenal, aren't they? What I find frightening about that, Peter, is that Adelaide has such stars on the other two lines, really, that, that have been more talked about. And suddenly you bob up and say, look at their defence. This is outstanding. And I think the rest of the league just takes a little quiet moment to shake their head and think, how do you deal with this? Because they really do have such a solid, balanced outfit, don't they, the Crows? And it was one of the commentators, I think, on on during that match said, not sure why people are writing them off. They really look the goods. Yeah, and there was a game without Chelsea Randall. Yeah, I yes. was just going to say that, Chiki So, And, you know, they played last season without Chelsea on the on the paddock as well but uh, they they are so strong across each line and I've always you know been really strong about Brisbane's defense um, Brisbane's defense I think last year was a superior defensive outfit but Adelaide are challenging that that's for sure and they're just good across every line you know they they really look it'll be interesting to see if they're challenged in coming weeks which loss are the two remaining games impressed you most St Kilda's performance against Melbourne for three quarters, pressure, 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 or Richmond against Fremantle where Richmond kicked their highest score despite losing? Tigers. Tigers. Go Tigers. I'm going Saints. I'm going Saints. (laughs) Explain your case. Controversial. Back it up, Trace. I think the Tigers have shown us what they can do this year. They've been really impressive um, through the midfield and, you know, they lost Harriet Cordner and that probably didn't help them because they were, they were great. But for me, like, to see the Saints bring it to Melbourne, I thought, well, that's the first time really I'd seen the Saints really take on one of the top teams in a way that was impactful. Um, and so for me, I thought like having Nicola Zenos back and just the, the way that, um, you know, they dropped Caitlin Greiser, which I think is really interesting, is that to create a bit more sort of mobility in the forward line or what are they looking to do there? But they certainly brought it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think for me, while I love the Tigers, absolutely love them, um, I think that they'd already been showing that they were a force. So for me, St Kilda was more of the surprise, if that's the question. Is it, is it a further question, though, Trace, when, when they can't complete the job? 
you know, I mean, that fourth quarter from Melbourne was a really dominant display, wasn't it? Was it six goals to zip, I think, was in a, that last was, quarter? It was amazing, that last quarter of Melbourne. Yeah. Um, you know, that, and, and showed, I guess, what they can do. But we've got a, n- a number of teams who are not playing four quarters. You know, North didn't play four quarters today. Um, yeah, so, so, you know, is it is it the ability to play four quarters? And we know that even the weaker teams theoretically will stay with the stronger teams, you know, up to half time because you can do that. You can maintain that rage and that pressure for probably half a game until the skills break it open. So I don't know. I think, look, I think Richmond are the real deal. I just was, I just thought the Saints showed something that I hadn't seen before. Hmm. And look, ultimately Freo won by 30 over Richmond, didn't they? So, you know, similar kind of affair. They came home like a train too. They did. If Gemma Houghton could kick straight, I mean, she's yeah. already a superstar, but if she could kick straight, man, she would just be phenomenal. Time now for the third quarter and let's have a look at our tipping competition with the queen of tips, Tracy Kick. Thanks, Peter. Well, look, there's still two games to go in this round and we've got other games to be made up, but um, we can't get away from the fact that sitting on top of the tipping is Natty P. Morgan. Brief with How did she manage that? Now, there are a range of people on 17, and coming from lower down is Aaron, the Collingwood supporter. So I don't know if anyone knows Aaron, but all, all power to you, Aaron. You've crept up out of, I think, I think eighth before. Um, some person called Emma, who barracks for North Melbourne, don't know who she is, <laughs> tips I'm dropped blowing. down controversially to four, and Philip, the Bulldogs fan, is coming in at fifth. But uh, what what will happen with him when he starts backing the Bulldogs in their makeup games? So you know they need to win those probably if he's going to stay in there. So um, look, it's all very close. As you know, you can go down to about twenty fifth to find people who are two off the mark. So it's going to be a very interesting season. We've got games that are not finished um, or still not even rostered scheduled. So um, yeah, it's a bit of fun the tipping. So all power to you, Natty P. Hang in there, but uh, they're they're coming at you. Grace, I think you've taken a very diplomatic and generous approach to the reporting of the tipping this round, and I noticed <laughs> that you haven't actually uh, jumped up and down about the big story, which is that you have five out of five from this round. Am I correct in saying that? That's true, but I don't want to get yeah. too excited because I'm a Lions so, fan and it's all that Tuesday humility. night. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, let's have a look ahead to the coming games, of course, is subject to change as we know how COVID's been wrecking the competition and the Bulldogs have to make up two games. The Suns and the Lions each have to make up a game so there could be tweaks of days and times, etc. But um, Kiwi, it sounds like one great conspiracy theory that this round the top four teams will meet each other Adelaide versus Melbourne, and then Collingwood and Fremantle at Victoria Park. Yeah, look, I think it's um, also really interesting that Adelaide and, and Collingwood are two of the probably the three teams that most people think are going to win. They've got the home round. They've got it at home. Frio, this is their third week on the road. Um, it, it, they're going to be interesting games for sure, and um, I think – both those fields that Norwood for Adelaide and Vic Park for Collingwood 
generate really um, really good supporters and a really good crowd and a really good vibe for the home team. So it'll be interesting how the away teams come in and um, make use of that noise and make make use of um, you know being the uh, foreigners on on that soil and um, and try to turn the tables a little bit. But yeah, looking forward to the games this weekend. It it's um, it could well throw the ladder out and. Um, Absolutely should. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing Tracy's uh, tipping review next week to see uh, how, how it went because I think that'll uh, change a few votes in that category too. It'll sort of a few things out in a number of ways, won't it? You know, with <laughs> tipsters obviously but also these teams and, you know, like your, your point Kiwi about the sort of home ground advantage and what it means to those home teams. But I imagine if I was the coach of one of the visiting teams I'd be really talking up these matches as a chance to find out where you are, obviously against extremely quality opposition. That's a sort of obvious thing. But being away from home as well and how well you can set your season up, um, you know, based on how you perform against such good opposition. But, Peter, I like your idea of the conspiracy round. I mean, can we can we call it the Bill Gates round or something like that perhaps? What colour shirts do they wear for the conspiracy round? <laughs> <laughs> All white. <laughs> White gate. Uh, Channel 7 uh, have done that. On the, on the flip side of that, of course, um, some of the teams who are struggling will play each other, which will probably define their seasons at this point in round four. So I think that'll be absolutely fascinating as well. And, you know, at the moment, the Lions, last year's Premier, sitting on the bottom of the ladder because they've got a game yet to play this round and another game to make up. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they bounce back from their COVID interruptions, etc. And I think the other thing is Frio and West Coast now facing prolonged stays away mm. from, from home, work, family. Um, how is the AFL even going to deal with that? I don't have any idea. But um, I really feel for those players um, because, you know, I'm, for example, Emma Swanson took four weeks leave from her job to be able to stay in Melbourne. And I'm imagining there are uh, numbers of players who've done that. And so how do we deal with that now that WA borders are remaining yeah. shut? And Tracy, you raise a good point because if the WA teams were to return, when they return, they will have to go undergo, it's what it's a 15-day isolation period because they count that day one is day zero in WA. So that's, you know, that is that is of a, a large concern to a semi-professional competition for very obvious reasons. And none of us have any answers or a crystal ball, but it presents a, a ginormous challenge, doesn't it? Well, they can't just play, you know, continuous derbies and then mm. somehow, you know, Frio who are, you know, likely to finish in the, in the top six then have to start playing everybody else. So how do you get them out? and back in or whatever you That's need right. to do. And so. look, if, even if they could come up with the funds to support each of those players staying in an Adelaide or somewhere like that for the remainder of the competition, you know, of course these players have jobs that they potentially lose and, and families to be with. So There's a number of parents on those teams yeah. and a number of single parents. Yep. Mm. And the one question that obviously hasn't been raised, we talk about the players, but how long can the staff stay on the road? Because none of the staff are full-time. Yeah, good point, Peter. Yep. It's the same boat, isn't it, really? Yeah, it's going to be a real challenge. Um, before we go, um, just for obviously the listening audience, uh, Coach Kiwi, can we get an update on, on Fee and how she's feeling? Um, look, she's recovering well. She had a little bit of a setback with um, some of the, I think some of the healing was a little bit slower than was planned. Um, and she is due to go and see her oncologist um, this 
not this week, next week. So um, getting around, we've um, tried to get her out for a couple of little drives. So um, for us who have been housebound for six weeks, it's been um, an absolute massive deal to go, woohoo, and we pop down to Bunnings <laughs> and we, we celebrate with Hungry Jack's drive-through on the way home. So we're COVID safe, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a pretty sad life when you're cheering just to pop out to Bunnings. But, um, you know, we're grateful for, um, for what we've got here in the space and, you know, we're not locked into a very small apartment, which could have been the case had we not sold up at Coogee. Um, but can I just say um, also Sandy and Field, our Sounding and Dragons girls play there on Sunday morning. So if you want to see some future talent, um, the under-18s are 12 o'clock, but the Futures play this weekend. So there's some absolute stars coming out of the next two seasons from Sandringham, um, and they're on at 10 o'clock. And one more thing, if West Coast um, powers that be are listening, you're in Melbourne, potentially another four, five, six, seven weeks, there's a whole bunch of uniform manufacturers in Melbourne. Get along, have a chat to them, and they will make you a pride jumper and you can wear it later in the season and show that you're inclusive of everything the rainbow brings. That's such a great suggestion. There's still time. Go and do it. Still yep. time. It's Absolutely. not too late. Yep. Hasn't been done to death, has it, Kiwi? <laughs> has not been done to death. Oh dear. Well, it's time for Coach Kiwi, Tracy Kick and myself to depart, but stick around because Emma Phillips is going to be chatting with GWS Giants footballer Lisa Steen. I have the great privilege today of speaking with GWS Giants gun Lisa Steen, known to those who have seen her play as Steen Train. 27-year-old Lisa grew up playing footy in Nelson Bay, just north of Newcastle. Lisa, welcome to the Code Hanger. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thanks so much for having me, Emma. Oh, no worries. Thanks so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. So you grew up in Nelson Bay, just a little bit north of Newcastle. Is that right? Yes, I did. Playing, did you grow up playing footy? I know on your profile you talk about being a netballer for a long time before you picked up football. Yep. So um, God's country, we call it down in Nelson Bay. <laughs> um, it, it wasn't really an option for me to play footy when I was younger. Um, there wasn't that pathway there, so I played netball, I played touch football, tag, did a lot of gymnastics, pretty much any sport that I could do, I did there. And then um, when I was 18, they started a women's comp there. And at the time, my partner played in the men's competition, so I jumped straight on board to have a go and kick around the footy, and I just fell in love with it, and I've just played ever since. Yeah, it's an amazing sport, isn't it? It's, it's the best sport I've ever played. So I started... Um, playing it alongside all of the others and then slowly it just surpassed them and I was like I'm going to commit myself to the one it's just by far my favorite and yeah haven't looked back what do you think makes it so great compared with other sports I think it's a community and like it's just it's really different I don't really know I played team sports most of my life but it just feels more like a team sport than that like you just I think the contact maybe as well. Um, like when you're out there, you know that like you're trying to protect your teammates and that everybody's kind of got each other's back. And, and then off the field, everybody, even from opposing teams, it's just such a beautiful community. Everyone's so friendly and welcoming and inclusive. And, yeah, I don't know, I just fell in love with it. Yeah, good for you. So you play generally as a mid or a halfback. I think you described yourself to me earlier as a utility player. How are you feeling about that? What's your favourite position? I mean, what's the Giants' plan for you at the moment? What's your best role? Um, I think they're still trying to find that. I definitely am a bit of a utility, so I feel like I could probably be put anywhere and I think I can get the job done. But um, I like 
to play inside because I like the contest. But at the moment, I think they're finding that I'm I'm playing better footy on the outside. So they're just trying me in a few different positions. I played mostly defence last year off the halfback, as you said. And then this season, I've been playing win and inside me. But on the weekend, I got put into the forward line for a little bit as well. So I just try to take it as it comes and make sure that I work my ass off wherever I am to do what I can for the team. Now, approaching round four, the Giants are one win, two losses. You've played a very couple, sorry, a couple of very tough opponents in the past two weeks. What's the playing group and coaching staff talked about in terms of goals for the year? And do you feel you're thereabouts at the moment? Um, yeah, it's been a tough last two weeks. We've played some really, really quality opposition. Um, I think the biggest message from, I guess, the coaching staff and from teammates is that we need to get some consistency. We have like patches of greatness and then we have ebbs and flows where we seem to just fall out of it and just go back into old habits where we're, we're not playing our premiership footy that we want to play. Um, so I think, yeah, finding that consistency uh, amongst our players and, and not having to wait till we get off and get the message from the coach. We've been able to be really proactive in that. And I think both the last two rounds, we've come home really hard in the final quarter or the final half. And I just think that that's, um, we can't we can't get doing that when you start half in the beginning as we've all spoken about. So I think it's just honing down and finding exactly what that is for us to be able to do, whether it's mentally preparing better before a game or um, whether it's a, a fitness thing, whether it's that we, we can run out the games better because we're fit up, but we need to bring that earlier in, in the game. We're not exactly sure, but I'm sure we'll sit down in our review tonight and go through all of that and, yeah, just reset it's hard because you do need to look back at those games, but you also need to move forward, especially mm. knowing that we're playing on Friday and against another quality opposition. So we need to kind of acknowledge it, but then put it in the bin and move on and know that we're better than that. Yeah, I guess as part-time players, you've only got a limited number of hours in the week to be able to look back as well, haven't you, before you yeah. assess your opposition coming up. Yeah, I mean, North Melbourne, I suppose fair to say, really gave it to you for three quarters last weekend, but the last term was owned by the Giants, no question about it. I mean, if you're just personally reflecting back on what occurred at three-quarter time that shifted everyone's focus, mindset, do you think you're fitter than the Kangaroos? You know, what was it, do you think? I think we do have a really fit team, so I think that that did play a bit of a role in it. But I also think it was just a mindset of, like, we don't really have anything to lose at this point. You know, we're seven-plus goals down. The best thing that we can do is um, take the game on and try not to finish with such a humiliating loss. Um, right. So I think that that kind of helps to push it a little bit more. But, yeah, I do think fitness plays a part in it. I think it's a mindset. It's lots of different things. I don't think it's just one thing. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah fair enough. To it alone. Yeah. Yeah. Look, it's been it's been tough aside from you've had, you know, North Melbourne and Fremantle the week before that, but also all of you have been on the road now for three weeks travelling. So, I mean, look, that's that's tough under the best of circumstances, let alone when, when COVID is raging across the country. How do you do it as a unit? Have you been, have you had to do any lockdowns? Have you been, you know, you know what, what's the response to COVID? What, what's the response to your travelling? How are you all? <laughs> <laughs> we're all doing okay. I think um, we're all really prepared for anything, especially considering we were in a hub last year. So, mm. you know, we, we moved around a lot last year. Um, we're really prepared for anything this year. We, we didn't know what was going to occur and we were all ready to up and go again if it needed to happen. Um, Travelling isn't easy, especially doing it three weeks in a row. Like it's taxing and, like you said, then it makes the turnaround shorter because you are spending days on the plane and whatnot or you fly in and fly out on the same day, which is also, you know, takes up your energy and depletes you. But 
that is part of the nature of part-time athlete and part of this sport. And um, we're all just getting on with it. Like, we can't really make excuses. Like, yeah, we, we have been traveling, but we haven't been performing to our best. And hopefully, you know, having a couple of weeks at home, we can settle in a little bit and get back to some of our really, really good footy. COVID-wise, um, we're, we're in pretty good stead at the moment. We're just following along with the government guidelines and all the AFL guidelines. We haven't been too impacted. As you know, two of our players previously were diagnosed with COVID, that they all followed the right protocols and they managed not to infect any of us. So it didn't really affect anybody else. Which is fantastic. That was pre-season time, wasn't it, when a couple of your yep. players went down? Yeah. Yep. So nothing since? Yeah. You've been okay? No, nothing since. We've been right. really lucky in that aspect. I mean, it's probably more of a matter of when rather than <laughs> Yeah, feels that way, doesn't with it? the way that it's happening in Sydney at the moment. But we're all just doing everything that we can to mitigate that risk. So, yeah. yeah. Do you talk about it constantly or has it become so much a part of the normal way of doing things that it's just always there and no one even talks about it anymore? Um, we've had a few discussions just kind of as a playing group about like mitigating those risks. So talking about not sitting in cafes or going out to dinner. Right. Or if you're going to see people who aren't a part of that footy club or if you see people from the footy club, just um, rapid testing before you do that and things like that. I mean, I guess it's always kind of on the back of everyone's mind when we're outside of the club and going to the shopping centre or whatever. But we've tried to not talk about it too much or not let it yeah, take too much airtime because yeah. we want to focus on the footy. Sure, fair enough. Do you have any hard restrictions on what you can do outside of the footy club? Any any bans in place about where you should go or shouldn't go? Um, we have some, I guess, outlines sent to the, the playing association just like saying that um, as a part of your contract and, and you're, you know, as a player, we would recommend that you don't do these things. And it was things that were really reasonable, like going to festivals or you know, going to um, large gatherings that are indoors with over 100 people and certain things like that, which all of us as a playing group were not doing anyway. So it didn't really make much of a change. Um, we've made our own kind of soft rules, like I said, about not not seeing groups of people, not sitting in to dine at places and stuff like that. So it has had a bit of an impact. Like I haven't seen my family since um, I saw them at Christmas, but I didn't go to my Christmas family lunch and stuff because there was just too many oh, people right. there and I can't control, you know, what they've all been doing and, and things like that. And I know a lot of other girls made sacrifices where they didn't go home for Christmas. So none of that was, um, I guess, enforced, but we just made those decisions that we thought were best for Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've kind of segued nicely to my next question, which was to ask about, you know, family life and, and the impact that these things are having on, on um, the player's workplaces as well. And, and, you know, it's something we talk about with reasonable regularity on the coat hanger is the nature of being a semi-professional athlete and people having jobs to attend to, you know, and again, at the best of times, that is a tough gig when you're expected to perform at this, you know, exceptional level and yet not necessarily supported as professional athletes, you throw in the obvious pandemic conditions. It's really got to kind of wreak havoc with some players' lives, doesn't it? It definitely does. As you said, it's hard enough in the best of times. So previous years when I've been um, the club, I've been juggling full-time work and part-time footy and it's been hard enough as it is. And now you throw in the COVID pandemic and it, it does make it really um, troublesome for some girls. Like I said, I um, have been really lucky most of the business school holidays and I actually dropped back to casual work for football. So right. I've been able to navigate that quite well. But I know some of our players have had to um, stop working for certain periods of time and that then results in them not necessarily having work when they do. Yeah, um, yeah. So um, it is, it's really difficult. And, yeah, like I said, a lot of people aren't seeing their family. They're, they're losing work, which is loss of income. But even though all of that changes, income, I mean, rent, sorry, and um, bills don't change. So it's, 
it's quite difficult and we're not getting extra money from the AFL, which is fair. They can't afford to be giving us extra money when they're not telling us not to work. It's our decision not to work. But if we work, we potentially get COVID and then we don't play. So, yeah, yeah it's, oh, gee. it's challenging, but I think everybody is kind of juggling it the best they can. Yep, yep. At the very least, does the club and or the AFL provide you with some mental health no. services? Does it, Should anybody need those? Yep, yeah, they're there. We have um, plenty of access through the AFL Playing Association and we have our own um, psychologist here that works. So we've got yeah, plenty great. of help when it comes to that. Yeah. Excellent. Good, good. Um, hey, so looking forward to round four, which I know we're all excited about, certainly all the, the Sydney fans are really excited to have the chance to see the Giants play, A, at home and B, at what we're calling the unofficial home of women's football in Sydney at Henson Park. <laughs> now, yes. this is kind of the, the, we had Pride Round across the league, but, but you know, an extension of Pride Round into the Henson Park match because the Giants are going to wear the Pride Guernseys. Um, that's fantastic. And we're all, you know, we're looking forward to seeing it. Um, you, uh, you, Catherine Smith is your partner and you both play, we'll be playing this game together. This must mean something to you both that you get to wear the pride jumper and tell me about it. Yeah, I think it, um, it means different things to different people, but it is really important to a lot of girls in our team as they um, are a part of the LGBTI. Plus, is that how I say it right? Yeah, I just I like to say the queer community because I think it's easier because I get lazy yeah. with it. But the queer community, however you want to say it, and so many of them do identify as um, the queer community. So I think it, it's going to be a really really important thing to run out with that jersey and be able to represent inclusiveness and show that we're accepted in the community by everybody. And I think the support that's been shown already by the AFL and the wider community in the Pride Round that's previously just gone. It's just astonishing and it's just come such a far way in, in the last few years. And I'm really, really proud to be able to run out in the jersey, as I know my teammates will be. And um, I've had friends and family and so many people message and ask about, you know, getting the jerseys or getting the shirts or buying the socks and supporting and showing up and wanting to know your colour in their faces and bring the flags and all of that. It's, it's yeah, it's really humbling and really lovely to see. Yeah, beautiful. I think it's going to be a very colourful match all round. It'll be a big turnout as well. And you've got the Bulldogs, and they're a bit of an unknown quantity at the moment, aren't they? Because they haven't played enough really to see, you know, for us to see where they're at. But um, home game, can't wait for it. Hey, Lisa, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. We all genuinely wish you the very best for your season and for the Giants girls as well. Thanks again for joining us on The Code Hanger. Thank you so much for having me, Emma. 